Are you ready to go off script? Let's see how the Bible challenges the roles the world has written for us. Well, it's been a little while since we've had an off script episode, but I'm very excited to announce to you that we are kicking off a brand new series on life and death, and we're going to consider a number of very important, though controversial, subjects in our culture today, including abortion, suicide, euthanasia, and capital punishment. Our goal here is to address each topic from a biblical framework in order to arrive at a Christian position. At the outset, look, I'll admit, we don't know everything, and on some of these, we really struggle to figure out what is the Christian view and consider appropriately the objections to the view that we were advocating. We appreciate your engagement in helping us arrive at a godly position. Today, we'll focus on abortion and consider whether it's ever right for a Christian to have an abortion. Now, as with all these conversations, we are not primarily focused on a public policy perspective or what the society at large should think about this. Our view is really limited and focused on those of us who do accept the Scripture as authoritative and are going to reason from that framework. So that's the angle we're coming at it from, and we're going to cover the relevant Scriptures to this topic, as well as the track record of early Christianity and then consider how this relates to our own time. We'll discuss the major objections and consider the toughest cases, like rape, incest, and when the mother's life is in danger. Please note that some of what we discuss here is probably inappropriate for children, so keep that in mind if little ones are around. Maybe listen to this later. Here now, without further ado, is our first episode in our new series on death, Offscript Episode 34, Killing the Unborn. A Christian view of abortion. Welcome, everyone. Today we're talking about abortion, and our goal here on Offscript is to analyze the case from a Christian perspective. So we're, we're certainly not hiding the fact that our faith is coloring our morals here. We want to see what the Bible says, how science can inform us, what Christians have thought over the ages, and also engage a little bit with the alternative perspectives that people have in our culture today. So to start off, I thought I'd read a text from Exodus chapter 21, which addresses the issue of not quite an abortion, but a forced miscarriage, and uh, go through some biblical data here and then see where we go from there. So Exodus chapter 21, verse 22 says, When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm... The one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So this scripture is talking about a situation where two people get in a fight, and somehow a pregnant woman gets in the middle of it, and she gets injured, and... What it seems to say here is that that baby, whatever ends up happening to the baby, is going to be treated as the same as a regular human. So this isn't really the exact same thing as abortion. Uh, It's sort of an accidental It's sort of like manslaughter, I guess, or potentially, I mean, if the child dies. Right. 
But it does show you how the baby is regarded from uh, an Old Testament legal mm. perspective. I've read this passage so many times, but I didn't remember that this was the initial context of life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, mm. etc. Um, this they waste so little time getting into this. The Ten Commandments are established in Exodus 20. And then Exodus 21 is really about human rights and respecting each other and, and caring for each other and what happens when those human rights are violated. So this is kind of launching in with the Mosaic Law, the setting the groundwork for the rest of it. I think if you read the Bible carefully and you read it seriously, you can get God's perspective on life and killing and justice and also on mercy. The groundwork for the way that God looks at humanity is out of creation theology in Genesis 1:27, where it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The word for image is the Hebrew word selem, which is the image of a shadow. And in that sense, we are the shadow of God and we bear his form and we are, uh, we are in his likeness. We are a representation. We have his shape, um, as it were. So when you think about life and when you think about taking away life, you must always remember humans are created in God's image, his shadow. Right, so it's not a trivial thing. Right. It's, it's a big deal. And that also is the case for di- human dignity and value. Because we were made in God's image from a biblical point of view, we matter. Yes, and then um, that is the verse that God appeals to later on when he states the mandate um, to Noah in Genesis 9. He says, For your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. He says, whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. And that is what he appeals to with the value of human life and how we should also respect it as our fellow humans, but also as people created in the image of God. God has a great heart for justice, and throughout the Old Testament in particular, a great heart for making sure um, that those who do not have a voice and those who do not have financial resources do not find themselves being taken advantage of by people who are more privileged than them. In Exodus 23, uh, verses 6 and 7, God says, You shall not pervert the justice due to the poor in his lawsuit. Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not acquit the wicked. This is all throughout that the heart of God is hesed. Um, it is mercy. It is for justice. And it is really that um, in, in carrying out the law that there would be no perversion of that to twist it around against um, the downtrodden and the impressed in society. Mm-hmm. This is the law of mercy in so many ways and of compassion. And it was legislated for those who are more privileged to care for those who are less. It certainly never refers to abortion directly. Um, we do have sort of that case of manslaughter that you referred to in Exodus 21. But I think it was not mentioned because... If you knew the law, you knew it would be so far from the heart of God to shed any innocent blood and do any harm to the helpless or the fatherless or those who are less privileged um, that it, I think it need not be mentioned. Yeah. In an Old Testament context, say the Israelites wandering around the desert, the concept of abortion would be so foreign and it would it would be inconceivable. I, w- yeah. I would think. I don't know, but... They had just gotten out of Egypt where they, where their children were being killed. Right. So mm-hmm. children are precious, especially from a starting point where they're trying to build. And then when they settle the land, they're trying to fill right. the land and, and build up a nation right. and or at least 12 tribes. So the other thing is as primarily farmers and herders of animals that they would really benefit from having more kids. Just right. in the way mm-hmm. that 
even in our land, if you're a farmer, you have the more kids you have, the more people you have. Earlier you can farm. retire. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Israel herself is presented as an unwanted child in Ezekiel 16, where God gives the analogy of himself passing by and seeing this child. And, you know, it would often be a female child cast out on the field and unwanted. And God's um, immediate response is one of nurture and one of caring to restore her life to her, to give her hope in a future, and then ultimately to choose her as his bride. In Psalm 82, the psalmist is speaking against the rulers who have taken advantage of their position to do unjustly instead of to do justice. He rages, How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Vindicate the weak and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and destitute. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. That is how God's heart is um, for the downtrodden and how he wants our heart to be similarly. Speaking to the false prophets for, again, um, a misuse of the authority that they had in um, controlling the people. God says in Ezekiel 13, 19, you have, you have profaned me to my people to put to death some who should not die and keep others alive who should not live by your lying to my people who listen to lies. It's important for us to read the Bible as it is intended to and live out the Bible as it, as it is intended to. It, it's a double-edged sword um, and can be you know used the wrong way um, to support the wrong causes. I think in things like this, reading it as a whole to know the heart of God and understanding his values and, and what is important to him is the right way to use it and then to um, d- deduce proper Christian living that glorifies him from that. I agree, Rose, and it's it's it's... As we've been discussing, there's only that one verse in Exodus that is in the same ballpark as abortion, but you can infer things from all these verses that you're reading about God's heart towards beings, towards humans who are made in his image that cannot speak for themselves, that cannot object to their demise or their disposition or their fate. The most vulnerable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Probably the most famous verse out of the entire Old Testament is... Leviticus 19.18, the, the most famous verse that nobody knows where it's from, <laughs> it, because Jesus quoted it, and it's where it says, love your neighbor as yourself. And when it comes to the question of a mother uh, acting against her fetus, her baby, this there's not there's no one closer than someone that's inside of you, right? So... The neighbor is not just somebody that lives next door, but whoever happens to be next to you. Of course, we know Jesus taught it like that as well. But it's not loving to end somebody, I guess this would be my point there. Mm-hmm. And so I think that this is an Old Testament standard that ends up getting brought into the New Testament, but it's something that is very relevant mm-hmm. to uh, someone. And there might be cases where you might have to hurt someone physically in order to express love to them. You think of like, for example, a doctor cutting off somebody's arm, they're going to die otherwise. But killing somebody, thats it. you know, I mean, that's just not expressing love towards them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At least I don't see how it could possibly be. The Old Testament is also clear that God is the creator and when an unborn child is being formed in the womb, that is the work of God. This is, we've heard this a million times, but I still think it applies beautifully. Psalm 139, 
The psalmist says, For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden for you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book they were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. You see God looking at the child that's yet to be born and seeing their future. Similarly, we see in Jeremiah 1, um, where the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah saying in verse five, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. God looks at you young before you're even born. God has a calling on your life. God has his will for you to work. And he sees you um, for what you will be in his plan in your life. Yeah, this really does kind of lead into the scientific angle here because only in the last several years or generation or two have we known about dna have we known about how organisms have this built-in blueprint within them and god as the creator can obviously see whether you're gonna have blue eyes or brown eyes and these sorts of things but also your propensities to a large degree not that we don't have free will and can't alter ourselves through our behavior but there is a lot that is baked in from the starting point, and uh, it certainly would be the case that God can see all not just what you currently are, but all of your potential future realities as well. So, I mean, it's really a, a kind of an interesting way of thinking about it. But uh, I also wanted to mention John the Baptist, when he was a baby, he leaped for joy in the womb. In Luke 141, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And it says, just a verse later, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. I mean, this, I mean, it obviously doesn't prove that from a scientific perspective that the baby is a fully developed human or whatever development we're talking about here but it, it does show that from a biblical point of view they refer to humans inside the womb as babies <laughs> as opposed to fetuses and i feel like that you know the word fetus is is just a technical term for for a baby mm-hmm. and elizabeth made a connection there between the baby moving and joy and how god was working in that whole scene right and it also from a biblical point of view shows that the holy spirit can work in an unborn child right mm-hmm. because right. it says it says the holy spirit in, in that in that luke verse mm-hmm. yeah. in genesis 25 similarly uh, rebecca's pregnant with twins and they're fighting within her and it's a really difficult pregnancy i mean twins is bad enough let alone um if they're within you fighting and she goes to inquire of the Lord, saying, If all is well, why am I this way? The Lord says to her, Not two humans are in your womb. Two nations are in your womb. Two oh, wow. peoples will be separated <laughs> from your body. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. God sees the potential in you know, embryos, fetuses, in children. He calls them nations. That explains the discomfort. I, at this time, I'd like to just bring in some church history because... Church history is awesome, and it's helpful to learn about our roots and what early Christians have concluded before our time. So the first, I've got just like five or so quotes, but the first one is from the Epistle of Barnabas, chapter 19, verse 5. It says, you shall love your neighbor more than your own life. You shall not abort a child, nor again commit infanticide. Those are two sides of an equation in the sense that aborting a child is killing a baby before the baby's out, 
And then infanticide is killing the baby once the baby's out. So I don't know what we would call that, post-birth abortion or something like that. But it is very, it was a very common practice in the ancient world, in the Roman Empire in particular, that people would either perform abortions or kill the baby through exposure. Mm. So that's just like putting the baby in the garbage heap. And then some people would come along and raise the child to be a slave or a prostitute, or the baby would just die. And it was a common practice among the early Christians, which is like something to be proud of for us today, that our people would hear that baby crying and then take the baby in and raise it as their own child. So anyhow, the Epistle of Barnabas comes from the second century. So it's like within 100 years of Christ. And then the Didache may have even come from the first century. So this is possibly within 30 to 60 years of the time of Christ. Didache 2.2 says, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not corrupt children, you shall not be sexually immoral, you shall not steal, you shall not practice magic, you shall not engage in sorcery, you shall not abort a child or commit infanticide. And so there again, it's just a very quick little statement among a list of sins, things that Christians don't do. All right, I have another statement by Athenagoras, who lived around the year 175. He says, we say that those women who use drugs to bring on abortion commit murder. And we also say they will have to give an account to God for the abortion. So on what basis could we commit murder? For it does not belong to the same person to regard the very fetus in the womb as a created being and therefore an object of God's care, yet when he has passed into life to kill him. We also teach that it is wrong to expose an infant, for those who expose them are guilty of child murder. So that's a case of using drugs, which they knew about in their mm-hmm. in their world, that there would be certain poisons and things that you could take that would put the baby's life at risk. To expose them, is that to just abandon a child? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Leave the, leave the kid outside. In our case, this is Tertullian around the year 197. In our case, murder is once for all forbidden. Therefore, we may not destroy even the fetus in the womb, while as yet the human being drives blood from other parts of the body for its sustenance. To hinder a birth is merely a speedier way to kill a human. It does not matter whether you take away a life that has been born or destroy one that is not yet born. Then uh, about a decade later, the same author, Tertullian, writes, Among surgeons' tools... This is a little graphic, so if you have kids listening to this, you might want to mute it right now. (laughs) Among surgeons' tools, there is a certain instrument that is formed with a nicely adjusted flexible frame for first of all opening the uterus and then keeping it open it also has a circular blade by means of which the limbs within the womb are dissected with careful but unflinching care its last appendage is a blunted or covered hook by which the entire fetus is extracted by a violent delivery there is also a copper needle or spike by which the actual death is brought about in this treacherous robbery of life from its infanticide function, they give it the name Killer of the Infant, which infant, of course, had once been alive. So, I mean, it almost sounds like a modern-day kind of surgery that they were able to do. I mean, I know we all think people so many centuries ago didn't have electricity. They're all primitives, and they were sitting around campfires. Grunting. Grunting and <laughs> telling stories about the earth being on the back of a tortoise or something. But what we see here is... 
somewhat sophisticated surgery. This abortion is some, not a new thing. It's not a new phenomenon. It's something that was around. I have another quote by Mark Minucius Felix, who writes right around the same time, the turn of the third century, around 200. There are some women who, by drinking medical preparations, extinguish the source of the future man in their very bowels. So they commit murder before they bring forth. And these things assuredly come down from the teaching of your gods. Um, and then one last one from Hippolytus around the year 225. He writes, women who were reputed believers began to resort to drugs for producing sterility. They also girded themselves around so as to expel what was being conceived, for they did not wish to have a child by either a slave or by any common fellow, out of concern for their family and their excessive wealth. See what a great impiety the lawless one has advanced. He teaches adultery and murder at the same time. These Christian quotations are part of the historical record. Whether Christianity is right or not is not really the question we're talking about in this episode. The question we're addressing is, from a Christian perspective, is abortion appropriate or not, or are there some circumstances where it would be? And we'll get to that, those kinds of gray areas and nuances later. But from a biblical case, Rose, you've laid out that from a justice point of view, God cares about the weak and the vulnerable, the innocent, and those who can't defend themselves from the perspective of an accidental injury to a pregnant woman, God takes that very seriously and treats it just the same as a regular human life. From the perspective of what's going on in the womb, which they knew almost nothing about in the ancient world, what God says is that he is active in that process, and he's even able to foresee, to some degree at least, uh, what that person's future can be. And what we're seeing here from these early Christian quotes is that they just like outright said, don't do this. This is what this is what non-believers do. This is what the Romans do. We don't do this kind of thing. It's just wrong. And when I see these quotes to me, they're very surprising because we don't see the Bible talking this way. Mm-hmm. But I think that's because the Jewish people just didn't really have this as part of their culture. And the Romans did. You're not going to argue against consumerism if you're living out in the woods in a rainforest. So once once Christianity starts penetrating societies where abortion is common, now you start getting writings against it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important to take note of that difference. You see with the Romans and with the Jews, two societies that had just built their values very differently. At this time, I'd like to transition and talk about some counter-arguments. Recently, I listened to a podcast called Unbelievable with Justin Brierley last July, and he had a woman on named Dr. Wendy Savage, and she's from an organization called Doctors for Woman's Choice on Abortion in the UK, and she's performed over 10,000 abortions in her career, and she says that she's actually old enough to remember before abortion was legal. It's 59 years since I saw the first woman die from an unsafe abortion. I was a medical student and she was 35, had three children and was obviously happily married because her husband visited her every night in the hospital until she died from renal failure. And that made a profound impression on me but as a medical student you then go off and do another specialty and I didn't think much more about it until really I got to Africa where I saw women dying again and if you have seen women dying from unsafe abortion because they really cannot face having another pregnancy for whatever reason it does have a profound effect upon you 
and I have never forgotten that. Or the fact that my housemaid in Nigeria, when she told me she was pregnant, I said, go home and tell your parents. She was only 17. She didn't tell her parents. She went to a native doctor, came back to Enugu, started vomiting blood. I took her to the hospital, and she was dead in half an hour. And I have never forgotten that. Mm. And I believe you cannot tell which woman is going to take matters into her own hands and it's far better to provide a safe abortion for Mm. her essentially her case is that if you don't make a way for women to have safe abortions then women are going to die and uh in the debate this was unbelievable as a debate radio show uh she debated against a man who was also a doctor and had done had performed a couple of abortions during his residency and then came to become a christian after that and then changed his mind on the subject and is now an advocate for the other side and well i'll put a link to it in the show notes but it's a very good conversation between both sides so often what happens is if you're a pro-choice person, you get so entrenched on your side and you're saying, my body, my choice, and the government's not going to tell me what to do with my body, and we don't want women dying because it's going to happen no matter what. And then you have the other side, which is the pro-life side, and they're, and they're just like, baby's heartbeat starts at 22 days old. Scientifically speaking, all of the necessary materials, DNA and everything are there from the point of conception at the zygote stage and then everything out after that is still a distinct entity within the womb could even have a different blood type than the mother could survive outside depending on what kind of medical advances happen at different different stages however old and you you have these two entrenched positions and we're not we're not really listening to each other very much so i want to hear what the other side says i really do because i don't want to just like talk to myself here right and we also need to make the distinction that we're kind of talking about two different things here we're talking about one is what is what is the biblical position on abortion which is pretty clear the other is we're talking about the government legislation dr savage's point of view is coming more from a legislative point of view where if you do not have these services available to women they will get them anyway in underground clinics, what have you, yeah. and they'll die, which is a, which is a, I, I believe is a, is a solid argument. But as a Christian, can you vote for a law that would make abortions legal? Like obviously, this is hypothetical. Abortions are legal right now. That I feel is where you, you run into some friction with how should I enact my faith in the public sphere with right. my vote, right. with how I engage with the government and, and the authorities. Right. That, that's an excellent point. And I, I'm not as interested in getting into that right. here because that is a very complicated issue that involves probably compromise on both sides because we live in a democracy and it's a question of what's the majority position and, and where's the money at and what are the various political party platforms going to say about that. And that... That, to me, is not so much the the Christian discussion. My question is, from a Christian perspective, is it right or wrong? Now, I will say this, though, pushing back at myself a little bit, that when it comes to the government, I believe one of the main 
functions of the government is to ensure a stable society. And I think it's very, like, doesn't matter that as a Christian, I believe murder is wrong, just like regular murder. I don't have any problem saying the government should impose that belief on other people and stealing as well. So when it comes to certain things, we do believe the government should impose a morality on everyone. And like the argument, oh, well, if the government starts outlawing murder, then people are going to have to get more creative with it. Well, yeah, they are. So what? So I think there's a question of, is abortion within the realm of one of these things that the government should impose on everyone else? Or is it something more like, say, for example, gay marriage, where Christians think that a a man and a woman should be married. Non-Christians have different views. You know, and like, how do you make that distinction between those kinds of issues where you're enforcing your beliefs on somebody? Because Christianity ultimately, biblically, is voluntary. Hmm. And I know historically, sometimes it has become mandatory, like during... During the Middle Ages, it was mandatory, and everyone had to live by this standard, even if they didn't believe in it. Well, that's not biblical. Jesus is very much like a persuasion kind of person, like repent and believe. And if you repent, which is your decision, and if you believe, which is your decision, then you're on that narrow way, and you live that kind of way. Uh, and, and if not, then you, you just do whatever you do. Hmm. You know what I mean? So I, I don't know really what to say. Like, I would say this, though. If we could classify, like if we can agree that murder is something the government should legislate against that and if we can if we can establish that abortion is murder then i think you could put it under that umbrella right i mean we're talking about legislating morality and the distinction that i wanted to make was what we're talking about here is personal what we can infer from what the bible says about abortion when you bring it into the realm of the public sphere that's a very personal decision me personally i would never vote in favor of legislation that tells a woman what she can and cannot do with her body but i'm also against abortion so if a law ever came up that sort of got into that that would be a very difficult decision that would really have to be something that you'd have to take a look at the law what it says what its impact would be what both sides have said about about the the law and then make your decision based on that or opt out of it that's also an option and you could say that that's sort of taking the coward's way out and maybe it is but at the same time I would rather take the coward's way out and not sin against God than to engage in democracy in a way that would put me in in that compromising position. What do you think, Rose? Um, I think violating your conscience, even if it seems like you're not being a coward, is the wrong thing to do. So I think in an instance like that, you do have to you have to follow God and and make sure that it is in keeping with your values and your conscience. It's difficult to speak about policy because our government is not affiliated with any one religious standpoint, and I think we're grateful for that. Uh, I am incredibly strongly pro-life personally, and I mean I would love to see that enacted in my country, but I understand there's very practical concerns that go along with that. One quote that I see a lot on social media is from Sister Joan Chittister, and she says, I do not believe that just because you're opposed to abortion, that makes you pro-life. In fact, I think in many cases, your morality is deeply lacking if all you want is a child born, but not a child fed, not a child educated, not a child housed. And why would I think that you don't? Because you don't want any money, any tax money to go there. That's not pro-life, that's pro-birth. We need a much broader conversation on what the morality of pro-life is. Obviously, she's taking this into a political agenda, 
But I would say that to a lot of um, the right-wingers and the the conservative Christians out there who will be very staunchly pro-life, but not as willing um, to put their money where their mouth is in this case. I think certainly as the church, and I don't oversee Roe v. Wade being overturned anytime soon. I really think it's here to stay. But I think in the meantime, we as the church need to show that we are willing to support and to encourage women who choose to keep their children. There is a lot of shame in these communities. I mean, I've looked up the stats, and the average um, woman is 20 to 24. They're young, um, finishing up college. They're unmarried, and it's either the wrong time or they don't have the money. Women that opt to have an abortion. Yeah, women that opt to have an abortion. This is the demographic that we're talking about, and I think it could be socially acceptable for like a teenager to give up their child, but if if you're 24 and you're giving your baby up, people are gonna judge you for that. A lot of people are gonna say, you know, you should have just terminated it in the first place, or you're gonna be pressured to keep it. I think the only, in a lot of ways, the only socially acceptable thing is to terminate that pregnancy because the two alternatives um, are gonna be very difficult. It's gonna open you up to. Yeah. We right, create it's a gonna huge, be difficult, it's gonna yeah. be difficult. Um, but I don't know, I, I feel like the baby does need a voice here. You know? Oh yeah. And, and you know, I remember when uh, Rick Warren asked Barack Obama when he was running for president, wh- at what point does someone get human rights? Mm-hmm. And Obama said, well, that's above my pay grade. And there are different ways to take that. That's called bailing. Um, well, there are the different ways to take it. I mean, th- like I, when, I, when I heard him say that, I was just like, oh, you just refused to answer the question. But like, mm-hmm. it could, you could take it as him Faith. saying that that's a decision for God to right. make or whatever. But re- regardless, I mean, that is a valid question. W- at what point does a human being get human rights? And I know that having a baby... It, it, I believe me. I know that having a baby <laughs> out of all is, of us here, it, it changes your life. It does. My wife just had a baby three months ago, and it our lives are different because of it. And I didn't get as much. I didn't get as much sleep the other night because of it. You know, it's mm-hmm. just yeah. And there and there is a social thing and all this, but like, is that really justifiable to end another human's life? I mean, what did that baby do wrong? I think we want to take in all perspectives and not just be so Mm -hmm. much like on the mother's side that we ignore the baby's human rights and not so much on the baby's side that we like disregard Mm -hmm. the mother as if she's just like a passive participant in the whole process. Going back to our point before, Dan, we were kind of going back and forth on the policy question and I totally changed sides in the middle there. But um, (laughs) (laughs) when it comes to sex outside of marriage, pretty much the across the board Christian position on it is that that is unacceptable, but should not be imposed on people who are not Christians. Right. And that's where these that's babies the and unwanted line. pregnancies come from mm-hmm. is, you know, I mean, not a hundred percent. There are, there yeah, are cases like the, the one Dr. Savage mentioned where you've already had a number of kids and like, you just can't, you just can't have any more kids, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, for whatever reason, financially, emotionally, whatever. If you can't legislate, the thing that makes the babies, <laughs> then um, you're going to have this as an issue as a society. Right. Yeah. There's no um, getting around it. I have been personally very impressed by the Christian pro-life uh, organizations that I have seen. What, what I mean by that is that they, they're setting up these alpha pregnancy centers and mm-hmm. these other uh, emergency centers, and they look... They look like a Planned Parenthood in the sense that they look like a clinic where you could get an abortion. And what they what they do is they bring women in who are in distress, and what they find is that if they can calm the person down, 
show them an ultrasound of their human baby fetus and just like say to them look whatever you need we will get for you mm -hmm. if you need diapers we, we we can hook you up we can we can stand with you online to get welfare to get food stamps to get WIC, which is a huge program for uh, low-income mothers and you know if if you want to do adoption we can hook you up with a way mm -hmm. to do that and you know, the, basically they just say, look, you're not alone. We will stand with you through this. It is going to mess up your life. Like, doesn't matter if you want the kid or not. The kids, they, they change your life, you know. <laughs> they turn it upside down. And these services are popping up. These clinics are popping up all over the country. There's like hundreds of them, maybe thousands now. And Planned Parenthoods have been closing all over the country. Mm -hmm. So as far as like a legislation question goes, I really think that legislation follows a culture, not the other way around. And take it from a completely objective or, or social perspective, killing babies is just barbaric. I mean, I, I, I realize I'm saying that from a particular position and, and maybe you disagree with me, but like a society that does that just like seems weird to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're so progressive in medicine, mm -hmm. in freedom, in liberty. We extend liberty to everyone except for the baby. It's like, well, what about the baby's right to life or right to just exist? And I know there's like this collision between the, the mother's rights and the, and the baby's rights. I would say the mother would have control over like everything except for ending the life of, of, mm -hmm. of the baby. You know, like you can pick the color of the room, uh, the, you know, the, in the nursery, yeah. you can pick whether or not you want to raise a child or <laughs> give, give, give her him up for adoption. And, and that's another thing, too. In conversations like this, we always call the baby an it. But in, like, a gender-obsessed world, shouldn't we be using, like, he or she? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it is it <laughs> well, is a gendered... <laughs> There's also a school of thought that says if you gender your baby while it's in the womb, you're, you're going to damage it. <laughs> so, <laughs> or even before right. the age of, like, yeah. 20. <laughs> okay, well, I don't, I don't know if I can really <laughs> engage with that. Get rid of that. I know those are just some thoughts. I mean, what, yeah. what are what are the comebacks? I mean, people are going to say, "What about rape? What about incest? What about disabilities? What about when the mother's life is in danger?" I mean, I mean, what what do you guys think about those? Those cases are a very small percentage right. of overall abortions or abortion scenarios, and they're kind of propped up as some of the main arguments. If I got my wife pregnant and her life was in danger due to the pregnancy or carrying it to term, again, that would be a very personal and requiring of prayer situation. I honestly don't know what I would do. Well, I, don't, I think you could say that you would want to make that decision and not have the government say, yes, you can't save your wife. Yes. You have to save the baby, and and because you, here you have two lives of equal value, right? I mean, do we think they're of equal value? Yeah, yeah, I mean that's my that's my son or my daughter, right? And that's my wife, right? And like in one sense, the wife has more to contribute to society because she's already like done something with her life. But in another you can, sense, you like assign... the baby could could be the next Einstein or whatever. You know, I mean, I don't think you can really assign value social to, capital yeah yeah i don't know about that and with rape and incest yeah those are really really terrible situations that depending on your personal faith how you read the bible what you think about these things would have to be a decision that you made i was in grade school 
seventh or eighth grade. And there was a woman there. This is a Christian school that I went to at the time. And I believe she was in Thailand as a missionary and, and she was raped. And she brought the kid to term. She had the kid and she told us that she doesn't regret it. That that's something that was hard for her, but that she she did. But that's a very particular, if not rare, then definitely a situation that would that you can't legislate or you can't have a firm position on, I, I feel. There are hardline conservative Christians that would say it doesn't matter if your life's in danger, if you got raped, if you if it was an incest situation. I can't commit to that position at this point with what I believe and my understanding of the Bible. As I was saying, those cases are are a small percentage of abortion scenarios and they're particular and specific to that situation, to that person. The broader debate about abortion is, is really what we're talking about here. You're talking about abortion in, in the sense of a convenience. Yes, not in which, the which I believe of, is the majority of, okay. of abortion. These are the exceptions to the rule. Right. The other thing I'll say, and I'll make this fast, is that a lot of the debate about pro-life versus pro-choice right now comes down to when is the baby considered a human? When is the baby considered mm-hmm. alive? Mm-hmm. And I think that is so irrelevant, and that is such a dodge on the pro-choice side because the fact of the matter is all things being equal if it's a normal pregnancy when a sperm fertilizes an egg that being that embryo whatever you want to whatever word label you want to assign it to based on your position where you're coming from whatever that is is going to continue to live is going to want to continue to live is going to continue the normal process of living of developing of coming to term the fact of when there's a heartbeat and when there isn't is completely irrelevant because that heartbeat is just as essential to life as the development of cells, as the development of, of all the different systems. So making the distinctions of, of when life begins to me is getting that just distracted. It's just, yeah, it's, well, it's, it's, it's like you said, killing babies is barbaric. Okay, so how do, we, how do we justify it? Well, when does life begin? And then you get into this whole debate and then that creates space to have different positions and fall on different spectrums. But the, at the end of the day, my point is that at the end of the day, when, when a seed fertilizes an egg, that's life. And if you don't interrupt it, it's going to continue to live. But you're interrupting it with abortion. The debate over heartbeats and, and everything else is... is I believe missing the point in service of, of a position. Rose, what do you think about these extreme cases of rape, incest, disability, and danger to the mother's life? From my own perspective, I mean, I've never Especially been... Especially as a woman. As a woman, I will come out and say, in my case, and I hope if I were in this situation that I would have the cojones to follow up with what I really believe. <laughs> Sorry, I know that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> As a woman, I hope I have the cojones. Why did I say that? What did I say? The guts? The convictions. The guts, the the courage. Um, I would hope as as a woman, but primarily a Christian, that I would have the guts to live up to my convictions, regardless of the situation. I really believe 1 Corinthians 6, where it says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. If that meant dying with the child that I was carrying, I would like to think that I would do it. And wow. I would be a heck of a testimony to the world around me. I definitely, I mean, like, mm. God forbid, rape or incest, 
definitely would carry that child. Um, my heart is for adoption anyway. So like in terms of, I have no emotional relations to, you know, the child's DNA, even right. if it was from someone who had like violated me, like, I really think I'd be fine with that. I think the difficulty would be if it was potentially my life on the line. Um, but I cannot see in my life, any exception, um, for the word of God, for me to take innocent life, for me to choose my life over somebody else's. I see Christ going to the cross and mm. dying for us and giving up his will and saying, Father, not my will, but yours be done. It would not be my will, but that is the cup. You know, If that happened, that would be the cup that I was given to drink. I really hope that in that moment I would drink it and that I would do it for the glory of God and that I would be willing um, you know, potentially to lay down my life for that. But I, I would like to be a hell of a megaphone um, of God's love and that sacrificial love um, for other people. And yeah, I mean, I think it's incredibly difficult to talk to people that are in those circumstances. I'm not in those circumstances, but these are my convictions and I would really like to be able to, to live out my faith in incredibly difficult ways. Thank you for sharing that. That was really moving. And it's... Very easy for Dan and I to sit here in the armchair and pontificate (laughs) about what women should do when they're pregnant and... Well, I was taking the opposite position. I I didn't know. Like, I... Yeah, that's what I was saying. Well, I think it'd be really hard to say that to your wife or whatever. But right. So if if your life was in danger, Rose, what about your husband? What about your husband? Like he could not, no matter what he said or no matter how he justified it. There's no way. Yeah. You know, I love you so much, honey, or whatever. That's all right. But I mean, like. I, th- I would like to think that these verses that we have from God are, are the way to live and that we will not have innocent blood on our hands, even if it means, you know, sparing my life. So, I mean, no, there, so, there's nothing he could say to me. Certainly is a path of courage. Presumably you would find a husband who was likewise committed to right. God over his own human flourishing and safety. Mm-hmm. You would be on the same page with this sort of thing. And this is such an outlier kind of, right. situ- mm-hmm. you know, tiny percentage. As far as, and, and honestly, for, for if I was writing a policy, which uh, pastors t- typically don't write poli- <laughs> legislative well, a lot, a lot try. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I would write in an exception for this one, for people to make that, you know, if it's a mother versus the baby and one of them's going to die, and I would be like, look, you figure it out yourself. Let's not have the government decide that for you. Because there are so many non-Christians. I think you're right from a Christian, you, the position you took as gut-wrenching as it is, is the Christian position yeah. to take. I'm not going to write policies on it, it is, but I know for me, I'll write my own policy. Right. It's a self-sacrificial cross-shaped response to an impossible situation, mm. and it, it just seems the most consistent position to take as a Christian, but we're in a country with a lot of non-Christians too. Mm-hmm. However, on the rape, incest, disability situation, well, on the rape one, two wrongs don't make a right. I mean, mm-hmm. what what happened there is horrible, wretched, it's an egregious evil. However, when it comes to the baby, the baby isn't innocent. And you don't have to raise a baby, but I don't think you should be allowed to kill the baby either. And that stinks, and that's horrible. But sort of like morally where I'm taking my stand on this, same thing with the incest, same thing with the disability. Yeah. If a kid has Down syndrome, if a kid has a cleft palate or some other, you know, sickle cell anemia or some other kind of condition, genetic condition that you can test for in the womb. And I've been through this four times. Like what they do is they, when you're going to visit, like I go with my wife to the doctor, she goes however many times a month during the process. They always want to ask you, oh, can we do this test? Can we do that test? And a lot of those tests are just like ways to find out if the baby is normal. Okay. 
And the first time I went through this, like I asked, I'm like, okay, so let's assume that test came back positive. What would you do next? And they're like, oh, we do this other test. I'm like, let's assume that came back positive. Well, you, you know, we got to the end of that line. And then they said, well, we give you the option to terminate. I'm like, okay, well, since we're not interested in terminating, killing the baby, and we're people of faith that like believe that God can answer prayer, you know, we're not going to do all these tests. I mean, and there's a lot of financial incentives here too, because every test costs money and that's all billable to the insurance. So we, ju- we just nipped it in the bud from the start. My wife and I fully on the same page, like, hey, let's just not do these particular kinds of tests. Mm-hmm. As far as a disability goes, look, if, if a child comes out and the child is disabled, this is again from a Christian perspective, from a Christian perspective, we should, we should show more love to that person. Is that's the example of Christ, to reach out to the outcast, reach out to those who are in need. Think about Jesus. He reached out to the leper, the, these people who are suffering from, from different situations. Rather than kill the person, I, I, I don't see that as a moral position to take unless, I'll give this one exception, unless the child cannot live. There, is a, there are certain rare conditions where like the child can be born without a brain. So you're going you're gonna to deliver the child, but he or she is going to die the second he or she comes out, right? So like in that case, I could see an abortion because that is not ever going to be a, live, uh, you know, a self-sustaining person. Right. But even so, as a person of faith, Ruth and I probably would decide to just wait and pray and see if God does a miracle mm-hmm. rather than cut it short. I mean, that, but I can see that as, right. as a reason for it. Uh, before wrapping up, I just want to come back to the distinction once again between Christian morality and then public policy. From a Christian moral point of view, my theological stake is in the ground with the commandment that we find in Leviticus and then Jesus amplified where he says, love your neighbor as yourself. To me, killing the baby is unloving and therefore it's morally wrong. And then I draw strength from the testimony of so many Christian voices from not just the first century when the New Testament is written with the Didache, but also in the second century and the third century and, and going forward, really up until fairly recently, Christians have been against abortion as a united voice. Um, and I mean, that's not for me authoritative, tradition is not authoritative, but it is like helpful to think with and to see the boldness of Christians in the past based on their moral convictions. And that this is not a new issue. This is an issue that has been around for a long time. And so I think from a moral point of view, I'm, I'm very strong on that Christians should not be getting abortions for the sake of convenience. For, for me, I can see an exception where the baby might be born and not be able to live, or the mother's life might be in danger, or maybe even these other ones. I, I don't know. Like, I don't think they're morally viable options. But one last thing I would like to mention, though, before getting you guys' concluding thoughts is, what about the father of the child? I feel like so many of these conversations were a reaction against a patriarchal society. And so a lot of, a lot of the uh, mindset is, well, it's a woman's right, it's a woman's right, it's a woman's right. Well, I feel like we need to bring it back a little bit more towards the center here. This is somebody else's kid too. Shouldn't that guy have at least something to say? Shouldn't he have some sort of standing on the, the subject? Like what if he wants the kid and she doesn't? 
or the know, other way around or the other way around she doesn't he does and from a child support pr- perspective yeah so i feel like that's something that is rarely ever mentioned no in this conversation yeah there's there's an equality component of if a woman gets pregnant you know she can keep the baby or not but if she does keep the baby then the man is on the hook for 18 years hundreds of thousands of dollars over the over that 18 years mm-hmm. so yeah there's an inequality there and it's not socially or progressively acceptable to talk about where father's where, rights right where men's where <laughs> men's rights are lacking yeah everything we've been talking about with with the, the with the tension between yes morally we feel this way based on what the bible says but we live in a secular society right we enjoy as christians a pluralist society mm-hmm. yes and 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 particularly in america we enjoy the right to practice our faith free of outside interference and with that blessing with that benefit we we have the society where where these issues come up and the tension between moral which we're firm on and policy oh, legislative that that is always going to be a hard gray area i don't support christians picketing planned parenthood with signs and obviously wackos that kill abortion doctors that's not something that is coming from a place of love where yes you have this position shouting at people across the from across the street who are already feeling shame about the situation that they're in is the christ-like attitude to take in that type of situation i mean and that's a personal thing if you feel convicted to demonstrate i think you can do that in a in a godly way right obviously i'm not in favor of the westboro baptist type right right. approach hate, hate speech I think the church, it's very important for us to rise up and be a haven for single mothers and struggling families and for people that made difficult decisions. I think especially, you know, because there can be a lot of um, sexual immorality that obviously goes into these kids. It's easy to be judgy and it's easy to say, what, what happened here? But I think we need to celebrate life and we need to celebrate the image of God deep in our culture and deep in our values. And then I think to to come alongside, yes, with morality and yes with values um, but with a lot of love and a lot of forgiveness for people who have you know maybe done wrong things but have made a difficult decision and have opted on the side of life i think we need to be their allies i think um, we need to invest in these children there are incredible stories of children that almost lost their lives and their mother changed their mind and the things god does with these kids are amazing i think we want to be a part of that work um, that we want to be a part of the culture of life. We want to be pro-birth. We want to be pro-life. And we want to um, be that way all through the life, to stand alongside them, to disciple them, um, to bring these people into the family, and to love them as dearly as Christ does. There is a lot of dysfunction through the Bible and a lot of less-than-ideal conceptions, but God works in people. God redeems people. God values you, not because of how perfect your conception was, but because you were created in His image. If somebody comes along and they say, Hey, I'm thinking about getting an abortion. If you're a Christian and and you you strongly believe it's wrong, then you should be able to say to that person, "Look, I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. Like whatever you yeah. need, I, I'm I'm willing to walk beside you and help you get what you what you need to keep this baby. I mean, ultimately, and ultimately, even say, "Look, I'll I'll take this baby if you are unwilling to raise the child." And that is truly scary and self-sacrificial, but. Hey, if we really believe that baby is a human being made in the image of mm-hmm. God, and wh- what you just said, Rose, about how God can work with people whose lives are, are almost snuffed out before they're even born, then you know, if we're going to be consistent, we need to be willing to take on that responsibility mm-hmm. or find 
someone who's looking for a kid already and, and make that connection, you know, which is uh, uh, beautiful when that happens. I mean, there's plenty of people and couples that desperately want children, mm. but just can't have them for whatever reason. They, they, the demand for babies in America is much more on the side of not having enough babies than it is on having too many babies. So those are, those are some good considerations. And I, w- I just want to mention one other thing. I know sometimes that people think someone is not alive until they take their first breath on the basis of the Genesis account of Adam, that when God breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life, he became a living being. Yes, that was the case for Adam, but Adam was never in a womb. So he's not a good example of when life begins. I think what we need to look at is what the scriptures say about God working within the womb, these other, these other places that we've already looked at, to see that life is already happening inside of the womb, and especially with the scientific mm-hmm. knowledge we now have as well. So please, dear listener, if you strongly disagree with us, if you want to nuance it further or you think that we're beating around the bush too much and we need to be stronger, whatever your position is, please give us some feedback. We'd love to have that at restitudio.org and leave a comment there. Rose is going to say goodbye in uh, pig Latin. Welsh. (laughs) Oh, I can't even do that. Never mind. I can't say that. I can't even speak as a human. Rose Rose has said goodbye faithfully every off-script episode so far, but let's face it, there are only so many languages in so many ways of getting recordings of those languages so that she can somewhat accurately say goodbye in these languages. So do you have a language for us today, Rose? No, I normally like cram at the end of a podcast. If anyone feels really strongly that I should say goodbye in a certain language, I'm willing to, but if people aren't emotionally attached to it. We're we're leaning towards retiring it. Yeah, we're leaning. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) I could do it in Pig Latin though for resolving. Yeah, do, do Pig Latin. All right. Well, just before that, thank you so much for listening. We realize um, this is a difficult topic and this is controversial. We want to say we are very pro-women. We love everyone. We realize that pregnancy, especially at the wrong time of life, can be an incredibly difficult thing. But we believe in, in the beautiful image of God in every being, and that is what drives the way we look at it, to know the heart of God and to respond in, in kind. It is a clash of one right versus another, but we believe the most fundamental um, right is the right to life. Abortion is going to cause harm and is going to um, remove the right to a life no matter what. And so even even with the inconvenience and the difficulty, and we totally acknowledge that um, a pregnancy and an unplanned pregnancy um, can cause, we believe the most fundamental um, right is the right to life. You didn't say goodbye. I can't say goodbye, gay. Why not? I'm just going to say goodbye. No. Ud- I can't. Gay. I. No, 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 no. Because it's one word. I can't just. It's one I word? Can't round, I can't end this one on pig Latin, so I'm just going to say goodbye. Thank you guys very much. We love you. Goodbye. I feel like that was weak. Can you is, can you say farewell or something? No, of, of that was not so pretentious. Yeah. Do you want me to say like goodbye several times and you pick which one you like? Yeah. Goodbye. 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 <laughs> so long. Farewell. We are saying goodbye. I can't. Well, I hope you found that discussion helpful. Please leave us feedback at restitudio.org. Just look for Offscript episode 34. Also, if you have found this episode helpful, please share it on social media so others can take a listen. We'll catch you next time as we seek to get off the world script and live out authentic Christianity.